A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, what support can parents and loved ones give to young people who identify as transgender? Broadly speaking, we're talking about people who feel like they were born in a body that doesn't line up with how they feel about themselves. One in a hundred young people in New Zealand between the age of 12 and 17 identify as transgender, and up to 3% are unsure of their gender identity. Our next guest is one of a handful of transgender counsellors in the country. Tommy Hamilton is a narrative therapist with counsellors support service Outline New Zealand, working with LGBTI, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and intersex youth. He led support group Rainbow Youth for five years and is a guest lecturer in gender identity and gender diversity at Otago Medical School. Tommy identifies as a trans masculine person and is in the Wellington studio with me. Good morning, great to have you with us. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. So you've worked as an advocate for many years, now as a counsellor, and this is also very personal to you. I mean, you can speak from personal experience about what people go through and what their challenges are. Mm. What, is your, what is your own story? Um, well, I, I transitioned about just under 15 years ago um, at a time when transitioning services were probably not as available, but, um, and I had an incredibly supportive family. Um, and so I easily... Um, I easily integrated into my newer identity, but I'd been questioning my identity from a very young age, and I had a distinct fear of telling my parents and telling the world. So, um, you know, quite interestingly, when I told my parents, they were like, okay, that's great. Um, (laughs) How can we help? And that was about it. So um, my experience of having, um, of of the research that they have today, where supportive families, you know, lead to... um, successful individuals uh, who are children um, I lived that reality um, and I was very lucky to have supportive parents so um, I've been very comfortable in my gender identity from day one uh, no matter what experiences I've had of transitioning my body from one set of hormones to the other um, that didn't really change my values my personhood and my belonging in the world um, and that yeah so that's how I sort of came to my essence of a gender identity and so therefore um, for me I have a passion for sharing that and the key to sharing that is sharing information and helping people become less isolated around the topic. That fear you mentioned is twofold and, and this is huge I mean who you are and the acceptance of your parents and your family of who you are absolutely fundamental, absolutely huge and also telling the world absolutely huge. This is, you know, everyone's experience of you and being honest about who you are. Is that fear a huge part of the pressures that young people go through, no matter where they are, whether they're just unsure or whether they're just trying to work out whether the way they feel indicates anything more than, you know, as many Mm. would say. I mean, let's get to the heart of it. I mean, what is it? What is the range of experiences that people will go through, all the way through to transitioning or not? What are the range of, uh, of situations that young people will be in that we should be aware of and supporting? I, I think the heart of it is, and that's why I sort of mentioned the essence of our identity, the heart of it is that when we see something that isn't reflected around the world in us, there's a, a fear of difference. 
which affects many things, right? Racism, uh, sexism, all those things. Um, and they're all expressions, outward expressions. And we start to base our identity on what's out there in society and what's reflected back to us. And that's where the fear begins. But if we deconstruct that a little bit and find out where the where those ideas are coming from, whose ideas they were in the first place, suddenly we start to realise, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not working out of my own, my own place here, you know? Um, where am I standing on this piece of land? And where is my mana? Where is my spirit? What is my, my story in context of the people around me? And if we start to engage in it the other way around, instead of looking at it as a reflection of society, but a reflection of ourself, right. then we have some positioning or a place of, to stand in our identity. But that is almost immature. That's the sort of um, liberation often that people don't experience till much, much later in life. And the, tr- mm. and the difficulty with this is that these are young people, mm. so subjects, so still trying to work out who they are in so many different ways. You know, any young teen or, or, or uh, adolescent is faced with all these changes and all these things and all these feelings and who am I and mm. who am I relative to anyone else. To get them to a secure place to get them to a confidence that who they are is not what matters and not what everyone else determines, what what are the kinds of ways that you go about working with people and that we should all be going about working with people? Um, Well, most of it is peer-related with evidence. Um, Peer support for both families and and the young people is a key aspect to um, informing um, both parents and and the child that they belong in the world. So um, most of the time it's reaching uh, reaching out to people you trust. Now those peers may be of a similar identity and that's sometimes where there's a bit of a gap, right? Because we can't, it's very hard for parents to locate other parents. Um, and it's very hard for children to locate other children because our society has societal norms around gender that you know, um, question the little boy who wants to wear a dress to uh, gym class or to school. Um, and that puts a barrier. So the fear of others gets in the way of of that, of that identity being able to flourish. Um, but if we can reduce uh, the notions of what should what should a little boy or a little girl should look like and do and allow space and variety and diversity to of that experience to exist, you'll find that some of those little people will develop into um, people with different sexualities, different identities and different neurodiversities and different abilities and uh, different um, senses of 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 knowledge all sorts of things not just gender identity so that's the the key here is you know gender is kind of one of the last frontiers where we're sort of clinging on to this idea that there's a boy and a girl and there's all this stuff in between well it's all the stuff that's attached to it as well it's interesting you talk about little boys who want to wear you know a a dress because we long ago got fine with little girls wearing shorts although we'll get to school uniforms in a moment (laughs) but it's like who decided, and it's completely cultural anyway, who decided mm. that this represents male gender representation or norm mm. and female representation? It, it is, is that part of the problem? Sometimes little kids are just being little kids. Sometimes their expression of themselves will, as adults, um, you know, be reflected in their, in, in their gender identity, and sometimes they're just being little kids again. So at what age or at what stage and that's a pointless question because it's a huge range but 
what is the appropriate response, the appropriate nurturing within families and within friendships and peer groups? At what point do you begin to respond or feel a need to support someone who may be, hmm. you know, going through issues about their, their gender norms and having a different gender identity? The answer to that is quite simple. At every point that the person introduces these ideas, um, and however that person identifies and produces and, and tells a person, I am this person and this is how I belong in the world today, that's the point you celebrate, acknowledge and affirm. If that changes over time, you continue to celebrate, acknowledge and affirm what that person presents at that particular time and space. Because trans people and people with gender diverse identities, which can be non-binary, agender, a whole range of identities under the umbrella, can identify at different points in their life in different ways. So I'll use myself as an example. At four, I was wishing going to sleep and dreaming of growing a penis just to be like my dad and my brother. At five or six or seven, I thought, oh, I'll be like boy George. Um, and Culture Club, and, and I saw reflections of gender diversity in front of me. So I thought I was a boy that was like a girl. Then at 12, 13, I thought I've got to be a girl now because everyone else is being a girl, often prepubescent. These are developmental phases and me interpreting the world I needed to. The whole time, my family were like, okay, you want to do this? Okay, you want to do that? Then by the time I was 16, 17... You know, I'm thinking, oh, this is just a trend. Everyone wants to be transgender these days. Not realising, actually, no, these people I'm meeting are like me because they like me and we're finding each other. And then it wasn't until later in life that I finally had the courage to get past that fear that we were talking about and say, I need to do this because it was affecting me in my everyday life. Now, we don't need to do that narrative any longer because if I had stuck to affirming myself as my family and as people around me were, sh were stating, if I wasn't so affected by societal norms myself, I would have transitioned when I was 15, 16 um, and have a really different engagement with my body. What I heard from you was that you respond to what comes from the young person. Because again... That's right. I'm not big on what someone is wearing at the age of four necessarily telling me anything. It might, it might not. And what you're waiting for is what you hear or what is signaled from that young person. Yes. So internationally, standards-wise, they, they use the term persistent in the um, different types of standards of care that are developing around the world. And the, the, the idea that this identity is persisting. And, and as a child, you're not doing anything medical um, until you hit a certain stage in life where you're prepubescent body is starting to shift and your hormones are actually starting to do something. So you're not going to go through any medical transition until that occurs. Um, and those medical transitions early on in, in, in that stage of life are not necessarily um, irreversible. So there's still space then for the child to make choices and consider their future and consider some of the big questions they have, which you know, are very complex questions, but that child is actually under the laws, of, uh, under the ideas of Gillick competency, is highly capable, and the child has probably been thinking about their gender for a very long time, and a lot longer than the parent has. So that's where often there's a gap. You know, the parents like, "Where's this come from? How did this happen? I didn't notice this," but that's possibly because the, ch the parent wasn't questioning their gender, so they wouldn't have seen the clues. So, and a good parent won't see anything, and. 
Um, because they don't make judgments anyway. Yes, exactly. And they're just and they're just waiting for their child to say something. Is the waiting for the child to say something absolutely the right way to go? Are there times mm. where you should ask and inquire, especially if you had any concerns? I don't know about the p- possibility yes. of bullying yes. or a possibility that the child is terrified of talking to you about. Oh, it. Of is course. there a time to yes. ask? And if so, how? Um, asking. Asking what? Simply the difficult to, question. Hmm. No, but um, simple ways you can ask. Hi. Um, you know, around the dinner table, most parents discuss that they've raised the question in a way. It's like, do you think, do you would would you like to wear, you know, girls' clothes? Um, do you do you feel like more of a girl in a boy's body or a boy in a girl's body? Simplifying those genders because we've grown up and socialised in these binary models of gender. So the child will understand what you're saying, and maybe if they're confused by that, they're like, sometimes I feel like that, but sometimes I don't. Or maybe the child then letting, allowing the child to open up about how that, how that is for them. Is that making you angry, sad? Do you want to hurt yourself? Being really clear about destigmatizing the experience of dif- having a difference in your understanding of how your body ex- is expressing itself physically in the world to how it feels inside, in your spirit, you know? So really simplifying those questions for children. And you can ask children from as young as three. They'll tell you. Um, the younger the child is, I think they're more persistent and clearer in telling you. Often children will isolate themselves and they'll feel you'll notice it more between the shifts in their experience of life. So between kindy or daycare into primary, primary into intermediate, intermediate into high school, you'll see the child suffering a little bit more because they have to conform to a new environment maybe maybe it's because that with changes and shifts they it raise the issue raises itself again and the child's been trying to hide it or hold it down and suppress it because sometimes the environment is suppressing the the questioning and sometimes you yourself will suppress the questioning and you know say well if i'm just a a proper girl for another six months, maybe I'll figure it out, you know. And so you'll be challenging that even as, as an individual. So you can't. There's no, there's no um, linear narrative in how people will experience gender identity what and are, express it. What are the greatest fears that you hear, either from the young people you work with or from families? What are their greatest fears about a child um, coming out? I guess as transgendered or, or, or transitioning. What are the fears that parents carry yeah. that you could speak to? Um, I think they're, they're common fears for most adolescents. Um, isolation, loneliness, self-harm, I- suicidal ideation, um, depression, anxiety. So the parents are worried about what might happen. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That, and I mean, this gets advertised as well, doesn't it? Because most of us older generation are trans people. <laughs> you know, we haven't... There's a lot of people that haven't have had um, family ostracized them they've transitioned later in life and their children have ostracized them and you hear these stories and and they've had really hard times of drug and alcohol abuse or sexual violence or um for being different you know like often young trans people or uh, gender diverse people including intersex people due to that difference you're more susceptible to sexual violence or and and predators in that in that context or you have um experiences of bullying which is probably the most common one and we've just had pink shirt day often they I mean pink shirt day where did that come from it was like a, a gendered statement about a t-shirt um and those children may not be transgender who are experiencing that gendered um uh that home uh transphobic 
um, abuse in those safe environments that are regarded as good for children. Um, and the children possibly have a greater, great, the greatest fear of adults not believing them. That's where the jewel. It's a phase. It's, it's a just phase. a phase. You don't know what you're talking about. How do you know about your gender? And adults also confusing gender identity issues with sexuality issues. Oh, you're not gay. And the child is actually talking about their gender identity. And often children will tell their parents that they're gay or they've got a sexuality issue before their gender identity issue is um, expressed. This question's come through, and I'm not surprised it's come through from a list of the idea of children who are what we just call tomboys or tom girls, and I can almost hear in some ways it's a defence mechanism, isn't it? That's kind of like it's, it's a phase thing, and it might be. I can tell you now. I ran around playing rugby in shorts when I was a little girl. I didn't think about being a girl or a boy. I just ran around playing rugby because everyone else did, right? So for that kind of experience, and I was very grateful for the freedom for it, by the way, to climb trees and do stuff and not have me telling anyone telling me it was the wrong thing for my gender to do. But but for that. Fear, or, or or for trying to understand whether you know your little boy wearing a dress, or, um, or 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 your you know girl doing what we perceive to be boys things, is there nothing to fear really? Is there? Because the 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 force of what you're talking about, what you've lived and what others lived, is so strong that it's not something um, that's just going to be. Um, you, you're going to make mistakes over, right? No. You, this, so here the, we're talking this about... This becomes com- evident in time, the sheer yes, force of it. it. But it also is about communication. If you open up the, and neutralise your conversation yep. around gender, your child will start to communicate to you quite clearly and the persistence will be obvious. And also the child may move through. There's a whole lifetime for this child to explore their gender, as it has all people. All people have a lifetime to explore their gender. So... Um, and more people should because it's fun. Um, but if, as a child's going through life, they may they may have a persistent identity up until seven or eight, and then they may shift that identity. It could be that your child is just really skilled at understanding something about their gender identity that is different to you. And your job is to leave them the space, support and, them, yeah, affirm it, affirm it. Yeah. One other point, because I'm sure this is a tremendous fear that. Again, that word that many parents would have, which is the idea of someone who wants to begin to transition, they're still quite young, and the parents going, "What? Well, they changed their mind?" Or you know, again, how do you begin to deal to yourself so that you can appropriately care for your young person? Self care. The t- the parent needs to find that information, needs to understand gender identity, needs to understand how to have a conversation around gender identity, needs to find peer support, which, you know, we've linked some places up, um, and allow uh, space for them to learn as well and be really open with the with the child around the process because what we're talking about here is what you would term in the bizzo social transition if it's a child um, before the pre-pubertal. So you have time. You don't necessarily need to pathologise that child's identity immediately. There's nothing wrong with the child having a gender, understanding of gender that is more diverse than yours. Um, that's not a mental illness. It's an identity, and that child will inform you if there's any implications, environmental implications that is affecting their mental health. If you have an open and and neutral conversation around gender that's consistent in your whole family. How important is it some of what we're seeing now happening, I think, Countdown was a supermarket chain that did this um, Mm -hmm. recently, bringing in very, very supportive, uh, well, I'll let you be the judge of that, supportive policies 
uh, around uh, transgender uh, people, including people transitioning. I think there was time off even for those um, going through transition. Amazing. What are we seeing also in our schools now with the discussion about uniforms and discussion about gender-neutral bathrooms or policies that allow children to go to the bathroom the gender they identify with? How important are some of these conversations right now? Um, um, they're essential. Because we have, I mean, we have children who don't go to the toilet all day um, growing up with behaviours that are uh, going to inform them that spaces aren't safe, that environments aren't welcoming of them. Um, that those, those compacting issues create um, behaviours around our ability to socialise and be in the world. Um, you know, and even to this day... Um, you know, my experiences of entering public toilets is just intense. Um, from my learning from as such a young age, um, I'd like. I think all children need to have access to the basic spaces that, in public, to um, change clothing that protect their privacy, um, to go to the toilet, um, and that and that give them the rights of all other children, not just trans children. All children need that. So it won't just be beneficial for trans or gender diverse kids. It'll be beneficial for all kids who maybe have a phobia about using a toilet and maybe have, have been experienced bullying because they look different uh, physically for some reason. All children will, be, uh, will benefit from gender-neutral spaces in public environments. Great talking to you. Thanks for coming in. Tommy Hamilton. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.